Welcome to Something Wicked, where each week we will discuss topics on true crime, haunted histories, and all things paranormal. This week we'll be talking about Leonardo Cinciulli, the soap maker of Correggio. As always, I'd like to thank our sponsor, along with all the other passengers on the Something Wicked cruise line, and remind them that this podcast is packed to the brim with mature language, adult content, and ADHD tangents because shiny tidbits make my crow brain happy. Enjoy! Hello, and welcome to the season finale! Yay! It has been an amazing few months going over some of the most insane, funny, and absolutely deplorable human beings and the crimes they committed, and we are back with one last tale from the Rolodex of Psychos. And when I say we, I do mean an added bonus for the finale. I have with me today a gorgeous and funny new co-host that will be with us for the rest of forever! Yay! And as it has never occurred to me that I have not once properly introduced myself, and it only makes sense with my scatterbrain to do so on the last episode of the season, my name is Lori, and my lovely friend here is Tori. You want to say hi to everybody? Hello, hello. And how are you, my lovely? Doing great and excited to be here. Awesome. Are you excited to talk about this crazy chick? Oh, hell yeah. Oh my god, I am too. Funny thing, this woman that we're talking about today, her story doesn't start at her birth like all my other killers. It actually starts with her mother's birth, Amelia Dinolfi, way the fuck back. So you know what's going to be good. We gonna get crazy, we gonna get weird, we might even throw Miss Cleo in the mix. Because if there was ever a time to use the infamous Decad's Never Lie line, it would be in this story. So, let's get it. Amelia Dinolfi was born in this quaint little southern Italian town called Montella in the province of Avellino. Sorry, I can't do words today. (laughs) This was a gorgeous town surrounded by mountains and a lot of vibrant nature. It's just picturesque like a lot of the places in Italy. It's actually today best known for its chestnuts and wine because of the area's terrain and volcanic soil that are ideal for growing Palomino chestnuts. Amelia was from a well-standing family, socially and financially, so pretty much the hoity-toity class, and this was in the Edwardian going into Victorian era, so think Bridgertons if you've ever seen that show, and you've seen it? Yes? No? No, but I am going to watch it. Okay. (laughs) And honestly, I love it. I love the romance. I love everything about it. It's just like, the show's taken over my life. I can't help it. I love all the spooky shit, but... Period piece romance stole my heart. <laughs> but um, Amelia was an only child, unlike the Bridgertons who had 500 kids, pretty much. <laughs> and she was this great beauty growing up. And her parents could not have been more proud of that fact because on their social status and their daughter's good looks, she'd be able to bag herself a good husband. So when she reached the age that was considered suitable for marriage, tons of guys lined up to court her. Again, this was in the Edwardian Victorian era. So traditionally in high class societies, parents would have their daughters train in all the ways of being well-bred ladies from birth. They had to have extensive knowledge of reading, writing, painting, or drawing, embroidery, musical instruments, such as the pianoforte, be able to speak at least seven languages and be obedient and polite. The traditional way was for young ladies to be given their societal debut when they reach the proper age and then attend balls, have their parents pick out potential suitors. Then the suitors would call on them in their home, give them gifts and stuff. And once one of the suitors would be accepted 
He would take the girl out to chaperone parties, dance with her at balls, and go for a promenade out in public before he proposed to her. And of course, about 95% of the time, the girls had no say in who they would be marrying. The parents made all the arrangements. (laughs) And if they had a good match, they would continue their lavish lifestyle, living in mansions with servants, have nursemaids to raise their children, and carry on their tradition. This was always done as quickly as possible, of course, because the mortality rate back then was no bueno. Like, they were expected from birth to live to be about 40 years old. So getting married and pumping out babies to carry on the bloodline as early as possible was highly essential. Getting back to Amelia, after that insight, Amelia had been attending the societal events and was scoping out different suitors. One night in 1893, she was attending a chaperone party at one of their homes, which happened to be a family friend's home, and she was having the time of her life. Afterwards, she decided that it was a nice, mild summer night and didn't live far from the suitor's home, so she wanted to walk home by herself. Unbeknownst to her, she was being watched. And this wasn't the first time that someone had been paying attention, pretty much like stalking her. Yeah. Paper (laughs) alert. Yes. Mariano Cinchuili, an unemployed man from a poor family in Montello, had been following her for a while. He was an older ugh, he was an older man who spent a lot of time drinking and doing a whole lot of nothing. He pretty much had a reputation for being lazy and cruel, and that was it. Like he just wanted to drink all day and just be an asshole to everybody. Yeah, okay, lazy drunk asshole. Yep. Goes straight with the creeper. <clears throat> yeah. All creeper vibe. Yep. <laughs> Mariano was born in 1854. He had been previously married to a woman named Serafina and had two children with her. I'm going to assume they got divorced, which being in a highly religious community, most of the people in Italy were Roman Catholics, probably made him even more of a pariah. But also, there's no real info on his previous family, so he doesn't have much background besides that. I mean, they probably said, fuck you, get out of here, because I want to see you ever again. Probably. Probably, (laughs) seeing as, like, she had kids to raise, and he just wasn't helping So she's, yeah, like you said, she's probably like, fuck you, bye. But so Amelia was between 16 and 19 at the time. And Mariano was around his late 30s to early 40s. And he was enamored with her, which, again, I know back then it was different. And today's standards, it's not okay back then it was, but it's still like, yeah, it rubs me the wrong way. Like, I, I don't like it. It's, I don't like it. <laughs> the problem was he was resentful of her because a man of his background in class had zero chance with her. And he felt that she needed to be knocked down a few pegs. So on the night of the party, he followed her. He was hiding in the bushes outside of the house, drinking cheap wine and waiting for her to come out. And with his luck, she did a few hours later alone. <laughs> So he followed her down the roadways, then grabbed her, pulled her off into a field on the side of the road. Now, Amelia had never been taught about sex because it was insanely inappropriate at the time. Young ladies were just expected to get a crash course into it on their wedding night. So, yeah, at first she thought that she had been a victim of a prank by her friends Then when Mariano started grabbing at her dress and tried to put his hands up her skirt, she thought she was being robbed. So she was scared and begged him to let her go because she didn't have any money. But of course, he didn't listen and she didn't know what was being done to her, only that it hurt her. 
Uh, like she had no knowledge of what was going on even during the act and everything. It was just like That's fucking horrible. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, as we gathered, Mariano had raped her and then he left her in the field. Amelia just laid there for the next few hours in massive amounts of pain, entirely confused. Then she got up and made her way home in a daze. And she was so out of it, she didn't even wash up or change before going to bed. She just passed out fully clothed, like she was too traumatized to just deal with existing in the moment. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> the next morning, she woke up and added all of what had happened together to her she was in horrendous pain and had blood on her inner thighs and clothes and she instantly felt ashamed she believed that what happened to her made her soiled and damaged in the eyes of god of course again being in a super religious community everything is the woman's fault yeah. so she um she told no one for fear of being judged by everyone by god her family and friends and society so she cleaned herself up, put on the biggest smile she could muster, and went about her daily life like nothing happened, and she suffered in silence. And every time she saw Marion Mariano in town, this was, again, a small town, so she saw him frequently in the market and stuff, she, rele uh, she relived what happened to her every single time. Ugh. And she couldn't tell anybody about it because she was so ashamed and afraid. And again, like, this is something that I notice still today unfortunately in our society where rape and sexual abuse victims tend to not say anything or they're so traumatized by it they either forget it or they don't feel they can trust anybody with it because they'll be made fun of or not believed or yeah. everything Most like the time that. it's they're worried nobody's gonna believe them yeah so it's just it's tragic that this still fucking happens today and again this was back in the 1800s yeah. and you think like nothing really has changed that much in that okay. category. Yeah. Like, so a few months passed and Amelia noticed that she wasn't getting her period. And she had no idea what that meant again, because things like periods and other female functions were not explained to her. And this friends is why education is, you know, necessary. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I think you'd want to tell your daughters of what's happening to her. It can't be like Carrie where it's just like, Oh, you're bleeding. So you're sinful. It's like, that's how it was treated. <laughs> and it's just, it's, just be, just be forward with your kids and tell them what's going on, what's happening. So they don't feel so alone when shit happens to them, whether it's just growing up or traumatic shit, like you have to be there for them. Just don't push them aside. And <laughs> so her mother and the other female servants, of course, knew exactly what was going on. And the servants told Amelia's mother that it had been months since they found blood on their sheets, which again, things like irregular periods must've been a thing back then still. Like I'm going to assume they were, I can understand like going months and months at a time without one and then just be like oh i might be pregnant but having one maybe two months where they don't have their period at all and then all of a sudden everybody's freaking out and going you're definitely pregnant because you haven't had your period it's like i wonder how they handled that yeah back then because it's like me like me myself like i for a longest point in my life like i wasn't exactly like on schedule so it 
it was like mild freakouts here and there, but I didn't have like Amelia's parents here where they're like, you have a baby because you haven't had your period. Like what the fuck is going on? <laughs> so um, her parents confronted her and demanded to know which one of her suitors had done this to her when she had nothing to say because she was extremely confused about all of this. Her father threatened to go around town and bang on every door to her suitors' houses to get to the bottom of it. So she told her parents everything that happened that night. And in response, her parents invited Mariano and his whole family over for dinner. What the fuck? Yeah, because they felt that the only way that this problem would be resolved was by Amelia marrying her rapist. Oh, no. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> so she had no say in this decision because she was a child. And naturally, as I said before, that sort of planning was left up to the adult, which included Mariano. Oh. Because he was in his 30s or 40s. So, of course, he was overjoyed by this. Not only had been successful in knocking her down a few pegs, but now was able to marry the unobtainable girl that he had been obsessing over. Ugh. Yeah. So they had a hasty, quiet wedding, and her parents wanted it to be done as soon as possible before she started to show and the town started to talk because they can't have that. You know, never mind your daughter went through this traumatic thing. It's like, no, marry your rapist before you get about like six months along and people start asking mm. questions. So that way it doesn't yeah. tarnish our reputation and you're not our fucking problem anymore. Yeah, pretty much. And so Amelia packed up her shit and moved in with Mariano, and sh she was leaving behind the only life she. She knew all her friends and family that now shunned her and disowned her to live in this hovel in the poorest section of town. And I literally mean a hovel. Like it, it was this tiny little mud shack with no furniture and an outdoor bathroom that she had to share with everyone else that lived on their street. Oh no. Yeah. What a and Mariano had no intention of getting a job. He wanted to spend his days drinking and having control over his new wife. On their wedding night, he forced himself on her multiple times and he had no patience for her and her not knowing anything about the household work because she had been raised in a home where everything was done for her by her servants. She didn't know how to wash dishes, do the laundry or even make food. So when she was able, unable to be proficient in her chores immediately, he would beat her violently. Oh. So she had no choice but to learn as quickly as she could while trying to protect her pregnant self by fending off his attacks. Like, uh, <laughs> and, I'm surprised he wasn't murdered. <laughs> yeah, seriously. But but not just by her, but but like other people. If he was really that much of an asshole, or he, his ex-wife. Yeah, he he had to have like pissed off somebody to that point. I'm I'm surprised yeah. as you. Like nobody's like try to stab the motherfucker yet. <laughs> and but after he beat her, he would leave the house and go out drinking with his friends and wouldn't be home all night, sometimes for days. Amelia had no support system. Like I said before, her friends had abandoned her. She was excluded from everything and became a cautionary tale to all the proper girls of high society. Like, don't sleep with the man before you get married or you'll wind up like Amelia Dinolfi. Ugh, that's like, so fucking bad. Yeah, it really is. It's like, why would you, why would you do that? Like, you, again, this girl went through such a traumatic event and now... She's being ridiculed by everyone she knows and just because of something that happened to her and they all think it's her fault. And none of it's under her control. No. <laughs> wow. 
So her family had even written her off. She was married and was, as you said before, her husband's problem now. Like, they didn't have to deal with her. And it was easier on them and their reputation if they pretended she didn't exist rather than to try to mish the class dynamics. Because how dare she? Like, yeah. It's not even her fault. (laughs) Seriously. And word got out in Amelia's new community and social circle what happened to her. They had no sympathy for her because they were dirt poor and she was born with the proverbial silver spoon in her mouth. So they felt it was all her fault because she slept with the wrong man and got pregnant. They saw her as a spoiled little rich girl that was never grateful for her wealth and just screwed it all up. So she deserved whatever she got. (laughs) Yeah. And as the months went by like from this constant ridicule from the town and the beatings and beratement of her husband her heart grew hard so when she gave birth to her daughter leonarda on april 18th of 1894 she hated her to amelia leonarda was the physical representation of everything she had lost as she was never taught how to be a hands-on mother Again, typically, she would have this lavish lifestyle with nursemaids to raise her children and if her parents' original plan had worked out. So she treated Leonardo as a burden that she could direct all her resentment towards. And Amelia felt that the baby had just ruined her life. Shit like that always breaks my heart because it's not the child's fault. They had no contribution to your situation. They just became of it. Like, yeah. So like, there's no, there's no reason to treat her daughter like this whatsoever. I mean, like, again, I know she's been through some shit. She had a hard fall, but like, it's not the baby's fault. No. And this was her chance to give and get love that she wasn't getting anywhere else. Yeah. And she just fucked it all up by directing all of her hatred towards this defenseless baby that had nothing to do with her life problems. Yeah. So, and, like, um, like as I said, Amelia did have a great life, but then she got pregnant, she got poor, she's being beaten by her rapist husband, treated like shit by everyone, yeah. and had nothing to look forward to, so it was all the baby's fault. Now, studies show that a strong emotional and physical bond between the main caregiver and a child is essential and critical within that child's first year of life for that child's development. It forms what's called a secure attachment in which as long as the caregiver is sensitive, attentive, and accepting, it helps a child later on in life to be trusting in relationships and to tackle insecurities and problem solve effectively rather than to have panic attacks or attack themselves or others. They become highly resilient individuals that allow themselves to move past obstacles with great care and self-awareness. Love involves constant choice, commitment, and work. And if the child's bond is safe and securely attached, they feel safe enough to explore the world, they have greater trust, can connect well with others, and are usually more successful in life. So when an insecure attachment is formed, the child experiences the polar opposite, which is mistrust of others, extremely critical of themselves, lack social skills, and have problems forming relationships. And they can even exhibit health problems later in life more likely than those with secure attachments with Jesus Christ, if that doesn't describe my childhood. (laughs) Like, it's it's so depressing to say that, but damn, like, no, I have such a bad insecure attachment (laughs) and i had to deal with that so it explained a lot of stuff (laughs) 
the reason it's so crucial in the child's first year of life and can have lasting effects throughout is because in our first year, we are unable to communicate stress and anxiety to our caregivers other than crying, pretty much. What happens when we can't express these emotions effectively and receive attentive, uh, attentiveness for it, sorry, it affects us physically. So our adrenal gland, which is an organ that sits on top of our kidneys, produces the stress hormones, adrenaline, and cortisol. The heart rate increases, the blood pressure rises, and we become alert. If that happens frequently, that's called toxic stress. It's toxic because it impairs the development of a child's brain and weakens the immune system. In embryos or at a very young age, toxic stress can even switch to genes, which can affect our health, as I said, many decades later. So needless to say, Leonardo ended up having a very insecure attachment to her mother. <laughs> Not <Yeah>. shocked. <laughs> Amelia was very verbally and physically abusive to Leonardo and Leonardo was heavily criticized for everything she did. She never got any love, acceptance or approval. Everything she did was wrong and bad. And she was constantly reminded by Amelia that she was the reason that her mother's life sucked. And, oh, also, she was beat over the smallest things, like not doing a chore right or keeping things clean. Basically, Amelia used Leonardo as a punching bag to take out all her misery on because her daughter was the only one smaller and weaker than her when everyone else was against Amelia. So, yeah, like, Such that's... a coward. Yeah, that's how she saw her, though, again, because it's like she... Everybody else was above her and stronger than her, so now she had this thing in her life that she could take everything out on because she was strong enough to overpower this child. <laughs> Three years after Amelia married Mariano, Leonardo was two at the time and they, Leonardo, sorry, God, I keep messing that up because it's, it's so close to Leonardo. It's ridiculous. It's just that one letter. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. And so they started constantly moving from shack to shack. Because Mariano still didn't have a job. They lived on the charity of the church, who sometimes gave Amelia food and hand-me-down clothes. They were broke and having to move constantly because all the money that the church gave them, Mariano used it on booze and never gave it to his wife and daughter. And he would also borrow money from his family and people around town to keep supporting his habit. Which, I don't know why they didn't cut him off. Yeah, no, that would make <laughs> sense to cut his ass off. Because all he's doing is drinking and causing tr trouble. Yeah, so one day, Mariano just didn't come home. Amelia didn't think much of it, as she was used to him being gone for days at a time. But after him being gone a little while longer than she was used to, she took Leonardo out and started asking people around town if they had seen him. She was directed to one of his friend's houses where she found him with a high fever and in a deep coma. So she took him home, put him in bed, and kind of just forgot he was there. <laughs> let that bitch die. Yeah. And let nature take its course. Like, she's just like, I'm just gonna put you right here. And oh, I'm sorry. I don't know where the hell he went. <laughs> Nobody's gonna question it if you just <laughs> succumb to the sickness. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. Because if he lived, that would suck. But if he died, she'd be better off. Yeah. And some monicum of freedom. Yeah. And when asked about it years later, what kind of man her father was, Leonardo said she didn't really remember, only that she had gone, uh, that he was gone more often than being at home. The one thing she did remember vividly was at his funeral, after everyone had left, Amelia spat on his grave as a kind of good riddance gesture, which don't blame her for that. No, not at all. Like, I would too. I'd probably dance on the fucker's grave. Like, <laughs> like peace. Like, I'm done with your ass. 
And after Mariano's death, Amelia thought to believe that the last three years just never happened. And now that he was dead, her family would welcome her back with open arms. But instead, her family looked down on her because she married beneath her station. Which so they rejected was- both her and her daughter. What <laughs> kind of fucked up hot pile of garbage is that bullshit? Yeah. <laughs> they were you the- are the reason. Yes. They were the ones that were like, you have to marry this man. But now they're like, oh, no, you married a poor person. (laughs) Like, we don't know you. Like, what the hell? Bullshit. So (laughs) Amelia decided to give up on the high class and aim to bag a middle class man instead. He wouldn't have as much money, but she would live a comfortable life. And what, what middle class man wouldn't love this pretty young wife that had been trained in all the ways of high society? Because he would surely benefit from that. Except she can't cook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Guess we can't have that. You can speak seven different languages, but you can't make some fucking mac and cheese. I burst a roast again. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Shit. This bitch is over here burning water. <laughs> oh my god, my aunt does that. She can't cook for shit. Like she bur- she literally burns water. I don't know how. I, I honestly have no idea how anybody can do that. I mean, it can evaporate out and maybe burn the pan, but how how do you burn the water? Like I remember she tried to make us cookies one time. They literally looked like charcoal briquettes. Oh no. It's terrible. She doesn't know how to cook for shit. But anyway, <laughs> Amelia found a lot of men who wanted to spend time with her because of her looks but they just saw her how the rest of society did which was a widow with no with a child and with no money and way too much baggage for a legitimate marriage so she was just someone to sow their oats with before marrying a respectable woman oh no because that was another thing that guys did back in like the 1800s was before like they would find they're betrothed but before they married her they would just like go on this fucking orgy spree all over town like finding all the women that were available and just had sex with them until they got it out of their system so (laughs) so women weren't taught at all what sex was until their wedding night yeah and men are over here sleeping with anybody they fucking can before they get married yeah that's just what the fuck? Like, get all their fantasies out, like, before they get married, because they don't know what kind of prude they're marrying. That's oh the mindset that they had. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> so now, because none of those men wanted to marry her, she started seeing the more seedy men, so the fancy criminals, so to speak. These were, like, these shysty mobsters that lived a high life with lots of money. Fun fact, in Montella, recently, 31 people were arrested for organized crime, being involved with the Costa Nostra Sicilian Mafia. So it's something that's still prevalent today, which, again, not shocking you hear about the Mafia and mobs oh, and no, all that shit now. Oh, no, they'll survive forever, man. Yeah, but it's just something, it's, it's interesting that, like, a family that has gone back that far, like, a couple hundred years. Yeah. Like, because even before, like, they existed before the 1800s, obviously, so it's just... Being somebody now recently today in the recent years being tied with a family from the 1800s, like getting arrested for that. 
So Amelia ended up marrying one of these men, like one of the criminals, and he lavished her with gifts and money, bought her fine clothes, he drove a nice car, took her to the big city to have dinners, and he was a smooth-talking con man who was the definition of easy come, easy go, meaning that he could make money fast, but he'd spend it just as fast. That's <laughs> Like, as soon as it went in his pocket, it went right back out on expensive shit. So there was no saving or security promise for the future of Amelia and Leonardo. So, Leonardo became an afterthought to both her mother and stepfather. In his eyes, Leonardo was excess baggage and just a price he had to pay for getting to Amelia. So, he paid l- very little attention to her. That's like, despicable. just didn't want anything to do with her. He just wanted her mother. But that didn't matter, matter because Amelia was happy again. She was living this high life with her new husband who would dote on her, take her out to eat at fancy places and go dancing all night. Meanwhile, Leonardo would be left home alone with no food or just scraps of whatever she could find around the house. And she was only five or six at the time oh, no. and had to learn how to take care of herself and fend for herself while her parents were out. Like, this little itty-bitty toddler just had to, like, learn how to bathe and clothe herself and feed herself. Like, all this stuff because her parents just didn't give a shit. I bet you she got good at that shit quick. More, yeah, more than likely. She's one of those, unfortunately, those kids, like, that just had to mature, like, real quick. Yeah, I mean, she had to be self-sufficient because if not, she would have been dead. Yeah. Hmm. And so, of course, her parents were out more often than not. And what little time she did see Amelia, she was constantly reminded of how much she was hated by her. Oh, no. And this came into, like, full tilt at 13 when Leonardo tried to kill herself for the first time. She made a noose out of her bed sheets to hang herself from the ceiling rafters, but the knots came loose and she fell. For the next week, she was unable to speak because the noose had crushed her larynx. And Leonardo actually wrote in her autobiography that at the time, Amelia didn't even notice that her daughter couldn't speak or notice any of the bruises that were on her neck and body from the fall. And so this just shows how little much she cared. No, I seriously bet you that she did notice. She just didn't give a fuck. That, (laughs) that, That wouldn't shock me either. She just didn't acknowledge it because then it would be a problem she might have to deal with. And if she just didn't acknowledge it, then fuck it, whatever. Yeah. So, again, so Leonardo tried again to kill herself less than a year later, tried to hang herself, but failed again. And she was constantly inwardly depressed. On the outside, people only saw that she was growing into a lovely young woman that had been blessed with her mother's good looks. So, now... Amelia started seeing value in her daughter because she was pretty. So so this was like her get-out-of-jail-free card from going from, like, low to middle class back into the good graces of the upper echelon. So she Amelia started dressing her best, waltzing around the community as the mother of a woman to be valued on the marriage market. And Amelia was once again welcomed with open arms by mothers who wanted their sons to marry a beautiful girl with good lineage good lineages who would give them beautiful grandchildren and as the Dinolfi family still had their good name Amelia had hit the lotto in her mind of course yeah so and she never told her daughter of this plan because she never had a good relationship with her anyway so Leonardo went off on her own to find a husband unbeknownst to her mother and Amelia was just enjoying her time in search of suitors for her daughter and got many offers right away but she didn't take any because she was having way too much fun being in the upper class again She was getting invited to luncheons and was in high demand and respected again, so she didn't want it to end too quickly. 
She was just living it up. Like, no, I'll tell her later. Like, when I find a man, I accept somebody, then I'll tell her. Because right now, I'm getting fat and happy with all these rich people. (laughs) Like, (laughs) so when, um, as, as Leonardo was looking herself, as I said, as she thought that marriage was the only way to get out of the hellhole that she was living in, she ended up falling in love with this kind older man named Raphael Panzari, who was a low-paid government clerk. He was hardworking and responsible, and he actually treated Leonardo with respect, and Leonardo saw that their future together would at least be stable. When Raphael proposed, Leonardo was overjoyed and went to share the news with her mother that she was engaged, and Amelia was livid. Like, oh, I yeah. bet you, I bet you that she was that pissed off because that means her high life would have to end and it wasn't on her own terms. Pretty much. And she had still not told Leonardo that she was out looking for a husband for her and told her daughter that she would never approve of the love that she had found. She would never accept them marrying. And because Leonardo had no idea of Amelia's plan, she thought that there was just another cruel manipulative tactic that her mother was putting her through to torture her again. She still told her mother regardless that she was going to marry Raphael and in response to her daughter being this deliberately disobedient child she decided to curse her literally like she leaned in real close to her daughter and in this eerily calm tone she said quote you will live a miserable life until the day you die end quote and that was the last thing that amelia said to her daughter and from then on she pretended that leonardo just didn't exist she went from like acknowledging her next to nothing to not at all like she cursed her and then was just done with her. Minus the curse. Yeah. Leonardo would be better off at this point. Yeah. <laughs> like she could just Minus go. that curse. Yeah. She could just go off, marry the love of her life and, and be happy. And never existed. Yeah. But of course that's not where this is going, unfortunately. No. <laughs> That'd be too good. Yeah. I want to keep the podcast focused on content that entertains, informs, and is mindful of your time. One way to accomplish this is direct listener support. Your support would help the show grow so much, so I've set up a link where you can quickly and easily support the show. The whole thing will take 30 seconds. It's glow.fm forward slash something wicked. That's glow.fm forward slash S-O-M-E-T-H-I-N-G-W-I-C-K-E-D. We're asking for $3 a month, but you can contribute as much or as little as you'd like. If something wicked is part of your day or week and you love what we're doing, please go to glow.fm forward slash something wicked and support us any way you can today. It's dead simple and again will take no more than 30 seconds. Click the link in the show notes, pay with Apple or Google Pay, and click the link of the podcast player that you want to use. You can listen anywhere at any time. Happy listening! This curse, like, carried a weight with Leonardo. She had been raised to believe in curses, the supernatural, things of that nature. Now, many people at the time in Italy, as I said, were Roman Catholic, so the idea of the afterlife was always prevalent. They had the certainty of heaven and hell, but they were not too keen on the idea of anything going against God. Shocker. (laughs) 
Additionally, the Romani people had been living in Italy since the 15th century, and due to their presence, many of their beliefs and traditions did become a part of Italian culture. It was kind of just kept on the hush-hush, depending where you were. It's like some places had it out in the open, like people knew about it but didn't talk about it, and then other places were like, no, no magic for you. (laughs) It's just... So the Romani people had been persecuted forever, not due to their beliefs at first, but because they had darker skin and because of their constant vilification, they became nomadic out of necessity to avoid imprisonment or death. In England, for example, being Romani was illegal and punishable by death. So literally, if you were just existing as a Romani person, they were like, nope, you're going to die now. That's fucking awful. Yeah. (laughs) You're illegal to exist. Yeah. Pretty much. And because they could not secure jobs because of the persecution, this is why they were forced to move. Now, there are three types of folk magic that was present in Italy at this time period uh, between the 18 and 1900s. There were Strigaria, Strigonaria, and Benedicaria. Both Strigaria and Strigonaria refer to witchcraft, but there are some differences. Strigonaria is said to be darker more malevolent side intended to inflict harm. So like hexes and stuff. It is also considered to be a form of sorcery that dates back before Christianity. So when the Catholic church was formed, Stregonaria became outlawed, but it survived in some forms well into the 17th century. And those who practiced it would have to hide it in plain sight, distinguishing it within the rites and rituals of the Catholic church. Kind of like how they piggybacked off nearly every pagan tradition not going to get started on Christmas or Easter because that would oh my God. be an entire episode of just bitch fest. Like yeah, two of us ranting about it. That's all it would be. It would be no info. Just like, listen to these dumb motherfuckers and all the shit they stole from us, like the Christmas tree. Like, yeah. <laughs> Stregonaria eventually became replaced with Christian beliefs mixed with Italian folk magic. Strigaria is an archaic word for witchcraft. It's pagan-oriented religious system with a magical structure for rituals and spells. It is a widely held belief that Strigonaria usurped the overlapped pre-existing condition of witchcraft when it mixed with Christianity, and Strigaria remained true and pure to its pagan roots. Benedicaria is traced back to the Roman Empire. It can be found mostly in southern Italy and Sicily. It revolves around ancestral worship and has a household god in every home as a protector to watch over their families. This was like the main um, polytheistic belief that they had back in ancient Roman times. Like each house would have their own god as their protector. They believed in multiple gods and worshipped them in their own way and stuff like that, mostly, again, through their ancestors. Um, The practice is mostly concerned with family-based folk traditions passed down over the generations and is almost exclusively used for healing, cleansing, spirituality, and religious devotions. So some of these practices were not considered socially acceptable, but were almost always passed down, usually from mother to daughter, and sometimes practiced in secrecy depending on the time and location, as I said before. Needless to say, Italian folk magic would have been part of Leonardo's upbringing, whether it be from her mother or the other women in the village, or from the Romani people that would pass through. It would be a normal part of their life and their culture. So she would not have taken the curse that her mother placed on her lightly. Like, this was not something that her 
that she was just like, no, my mom's just pissed off at me like usual. This is like, <laughs> oh shit, I'm screwed. Or she's fucking crazy. Like, no. doom! I have gotten doom put upon me now officially. <laughs> like, that's how she saw this. And it was extremely toxic for her due to her diehard beliefs and the abuse of hell she grew up in that put her in this constant negative state of mind that she was raised with. So for the first few years of her marriage, she obsessively devoted her life to being the best wife and homemaker possible. In the absence of abuse from Amelia, Leonarda became her own worst enemy and toughest critic. Raphael was a good man that didn't understand his wife's need to be perfect. He was understanding and loving whenever she had a meltdown for burning dinner or not finishing her household chores for the day, but she was so critical of herself that she ended up in tears more often than not for pushing herself well past her physical and mental limit every day. Which, again, somebody that has, like, severe anxiety, I'm not shocked that they do that to themselves because it's every in my opinion at least like people that have anxiety and depression and other mental issues like that like feel so badly that they have to be perfect in some sense so they don't hurt the people they love like this was leonardo's viewpoint like in amelia's it was all me 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 and leonardo it's the complete opposite where she's like you have to put others above yourself constantly yeah i had a phase of my life where i was a lot like that yeah same yeah and Raphael noticed that Leonardo was constantly afraid of everything. She was severely anxious and made mountains out of molehills. And no matter how good she got at something, she considered her actions and efforts and herself a failure. She always pushed herself to be more perfect, but never felt she reached that perfection. And this personality trait would be present later on with her crimes. She soon started getting violent fits and seizures and her health started failing shortly after she got married to Raphael. And when she wasn't in the throes of a seizure or fit, she was anxious or nervous and she had trouble sleeping because her mind always raced. Ultimately, Leonardo wanted to be the perfect wife so she would one day be the perfect mother, which is what she was trying to do to get pregnant from the moment she got married. She so badly wanted to be a mother and have a big family with a lot of children that she could love and in return would love her. This is actually quite a common trauma response, apparently, to kids that grew up in an abusive household. They want to be a parent not to pass on the abuse, but to have someone who loves them unconditionally. And they think that a child is the only one who will do that, whether consciously or unconsciously. Which makes sense, because it's if you've lived through a hell like that, you go... Like, we were, we were talking before, like, off, off mic and stuff. Like, one of two ways. It's... You could either go in the direction that your parents did where you know in turn would abuse your kids like she was because somebody smaller and weaker than her she could do that or turn it around and realize that going through that stuff sucks and you don't want to inflict that kind of pain on anybody you know especially people you love right just either perpetuate the cycle or stop the cycle yeah exactly and that's what again leonardo was trying to do like she wanted to turn all that pain and suffering she had into love and compassion for her husband and her future children. So Leonarda heard that there was a traveling fair that had the Romani people with it in the village. So she went to see the fortune teller. And before she even let the fortune teller read her palms, though, she just blurted out, Oh, Hey, by the way, my mother cursed me. So don't be shocked if you see anything like that on me, which I believe in people that have, like, the gift and receptive abilities, but to a certain extent, I start getting skeptical when you go to 
people like psychics or fortune tellers and you tell them ahead of time because they're already really good at reading your body language. Yeah. It goes from cold reading to warm reading because you just gave her so much information that she can just build off of. So it could all just be bullshit. Yeah. So <laughs> she she then asked the fortune teller if she was going to die. And the fortune teller looked over her palms for a long time, reading all of her lines until she stopped on her fate line and said that Leonardo would not die for a long time, but she would live a long life of sadness and outlive all her children. So in Leonardo's mind, this reading and her mother's curse overlapped and became one and the same for her. She had been attributing her lack of fertility as her own shortcomings as a wife. Now she wondered if the reason she wasn't getting pregnant was not more magical than physical. Like, what if it was the curse? So again, like now this fortune teller is playing on her sympathies. Like yeah. she can clearly see what Leonardo is going through. She knows it because she just told her and she's like, oh, yeah, no, totally. That's what's going to happen to you. And on top of that, your your kids are going to die before you do. So there's that bullshit. It's like what? Yeah, that's ridiculous. I don't understand. Like, like honestly, the first when I when I started studying paganism, things like that. Like, one of the first things that it states in the thirteen laws is you are not supposed to use your gifts for profit. Like, I understand the Romani people um, and other people that do this yeah. like need some sort of income, and they feel that their gift that they have they can share with people. But don't don't be like the majority that kind of just look at you, hear what you have to say, and then just add to it. Right. Like, don't add to their pain and misery. Like, bring something to the table. Like, don't lie to them, but don't don't just play on their emotions. Like, be real with them. Mm. Because I can guarantee you'd have a lot more satisfied customers and happy people if you do that. But... <laughs> Finally, three years after she got married, she got pregnant for the first time, and the moment she realized she was pregnant, her anxiety started to shoot through the roof even more than before. And this rising anxiety triggered more seizures, more panic attacks, causing her to fall down and hurt herself sometimes. So she had no control over her body due to the seizures and no control over the fate laid out by her mother and the fortune teller, but she felt she had to protect her baby at all costs. And three months later, she had a miscarriage, which only confirmed her belief in the curse. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, which, but, see, in that situation, too, it could be the fact that, like, maybe there was something wrong with her fertility, like, in her health and stuff like that. Because, again, like the studies said, treat, being treated like that in the first year of her life and all up until she left her mother, she was going through this traumatic abuse with her. So it could have had a physical effect like that on her body. But also, with her constant anxiety due to the abuse that could have also caused a miscarriage or there could have been so many other factors, but she is so dead set in this belief that this curse is the problem for like all her trauma and all her issues. And at this point in her life, Raphael was working steadily, but was unable to get a promotion or any advancement at work. So again, like she's thinking that like, Oh, this is, this is the issue. This is the curse. Like my husband can't get a promotion. I can't get pregnant. It's all my mother's fault. So, and Leonardo's health was getting so bad that she was unable to leave her bed for fear of having a seizure and hurting herself from the falls. 
1920, the couple decided to move to leave Montella in search of better prospects. Over the next several months, they moved constantly to find that comfortable, stable life and a job for Raphael. They found a lot of odd jobs here and there, working for a few days at a time on farms. Then in 1921, they moved to Laria, which was Raphael's hometown in the province of Potenza. Their new home was this warm and pretty little town, and Raphael was able to find a job quickly and easily. They had made enough in the past year to save up and put a deposit down on this nice little house. Another positive addition was that Raphael's family lived in the village, because again, it was his hometown, so everybody Mm -hmm. he knew and loved was there. Soon after leaving Laria... um, not not leaving, sorry, arriving in Laria, Leonardo got pregnant again. By this time, she had two things that she'd never had before. One was stability, and the second was the love and support of an extended family. So this pregnancy turned out to be an easy one for her, and she found her anxiety almost vanishing. She would prou- proudly take care of her home and kiss her husband goodbye when he went to work every morning before just going about her daily life. And with this new positive mindset, she started to think things were looking up. Being over 100 miles away from Montella, her mother's curse seemed to be something silly and distant. So again, not surprising seeing that it's, it's, it's that age old, like you live with someone for too long, you start butting heads. And I mean, it's different in her situation, but like, for instance, I've lived with relatives before where, <laughs> yeah, I can see you <laughs> laughing. I lived with them for so long. Like, I love them to pieces, but it's like you live under the same roof for so long. You start, like, getting pissed off that they just exist around you. Yeah. And now that I don't, I have my own home. I have so much of a better relationship with those people because it's just we're not constantly at each other's throats now. So I can see Leonardo's point of view where she's like, huh, maybe it's not so bad because I have this nice life with people that actually love and accept me now. I don't see the reconnect with her mother, though. Fuck her. Oh, God, I know. Uh, So Leonardo gave birth to her son, Giuseppe, in 1922, and she just thought he was perfect. She now had an obsession to be a perfect mother. To her, Giuseppe was a symbol of hope and new beginnings, unlike how her mother viewed her. And she started to think that if she was really cursed, fate would not have allowed her to bring her son into the world who brought her so much happiness. That's fair. Um, Honestly, she's got a little bundle of joy and hopefully... This one will survive. Yeah. 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 We'll see. We shall see. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, her son brought her anxiety back, only for the oppressive need to protect him and keep him safe at all costs at all times. Like, we're talking 24-7. Whenever he fussed, she freaked out. When he cried, she worried that he had contracted some fatal illness. And when he did sleep peacefully, she would continually hover over his cradle to make sure that he was still breathing all night. So I, I can't... I can't imagine this, like... freak out. Dude, that, that sounds she had. like me in my first pregnancy for the first, like, two, three weeks. Because I was terrified of SIDS. And really? I just, I couldn't sleep in the same room as my son. Because every time I'd hear him breathing, like, a little weird, yeah. I'd be, like, right there over his crib. And be like, you're, you're okay, right? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you're not you're not going to die in your sleep, are you? Dude, it was, it was awful. Oh, Luckily, my God. I'm sorry. Oh, good, good. I'm glad. Oh, but, yeah, no, like, I can't. Like, I already have enough. <laughs> 
yeah. enough anxiety on my own is like not being a mom. It's just like I, I can just picture this now. I'm not going to have postpartum depression. I'm going to have postpartum anxiety. I'm going to freak out 24-7 yeah. probably just like you and just like her. It's like, yeah. So <laughs> this constant stress and worry added to Leonardo's anxiety and brought her seizures back. Oh. So, yeah, now Leonardo and Raphael were comfortable financially, but not well off enough to save any money for the future still. And now that her son had been born, she was very concerned about his future. But because of her seizure, she was unable to secure a job to help them get more money. Over the course of a few years, Leonardo became pregnant 16 more times. Oh, my God. Yeah. Bringing the total to 17 pregnancies at all. After her first miscarriage, she lost two more babies in the womb. She did give birth to 14 of those babies. Unfortunately, 10 of them died before they were adults, seven of which died before the age of three. Oh, no. Yeah, this poor woman. Like, I feel so horrible for her. Like, this is the first... This is the first serial killer that i have covered that is like a a woman obviously and b like i just i want to hug her yeah i really do her anxiety and then her fear surrounding her children she's entirely justified regardless of the curse or not you know she's lost so much more than i i think i've ever seen like personally yeah that's so much loss and so much heartbreak and that's just terrifying to see someone go through yeah no like i want i wish like i i wish i could see her and just give her a big ass hug and be like honey i'm so sorry <laughs> like i really do like i feel so bad for her so as time went on leonardo went back to strongly believing that she was truly cursed to live a miserable life and outlive her children again can't blame her for that she was, however, a very loving and attentive mother to all her children, and when she became the mother of two little girls and a boy in quick succession, she thought for a moment that maybe she had bested the curse, but then each of her children started getting sick one after the other. No. Yeah. Like, her first girl was born with bad lungs, and it started with a small cough that grew into violent coughing fits that kept her up all night. So Leonardo would stay up with her daughter all night, propping her up so she could breathe better. She would sing to her and stroke her hair, but regardless of Leonardo's effort, her daughter eventually died. Yeah, so she went through all this, like, loving them, like, holding them, and just, they were just dying off one by one. Like, I, I personally, like, I would not, I, I couldn't do it anymore. No. I wouldn't even try. Like, today, today's, today's age at that point, I would just be like, nope, just get it all out of me. I don't want to be able to have kids. Like I can't do this if this is what's going to keep happening. Yeah. Then, then her little boy developed a rash that no one could explain. And one night he passed away in his crib and the doctors could never say why. Yeah. Like you were saying earlier, it's like, I could see like something like SIDS, it's sudden infant death syndrome. So it's, it's something that doctors can't yeah, they have no explanation for. Yeah, like, I don't know what the rash could be. It could be anything from, like, cholera, scarlet fever. MRSA. Yeah, MRSA, things like that, that they weren't, probably didn't have a name for back then and didn't know how to treat. So the doctors were like, we don't know. Yeah. And so Leonardo naturally became paralyzed with grief and terror. She became this helicopter parent to her surviving children, never letting them out of her sight she felt that if she wasn't watching them every second of every day, something bad was going to happen to them. 
and she was especially worried for her first child, Giuseppe. As he was growing up, she refused to let him go outside and play with the other children in the village, so he never got to make any friends or have really the normal childhood experience at all because he was so sheltered. And so she would fuss over the smallest things with him, like bumps and bruises would send her into a panic attack. If he had a cold, she instantly thought it was pneumonia. <laughs> Raphael and his family tried to help her. They understood her fear because of the children that had died, but could never leave, uh, get her to leave the kid's side, like ever. But more kids meant more financial support needed, so Leonardo would have to get a job. Finally, Raphael was able to convince her to get an overnight cleaning job at the village bank. He was able to secure the position for her because he was viewed in the community as a hardworking, honest man. So they thought his wife would be the same and trusted his judgment, which makes sense. He Yeah, he compromised with her saying that she could put the kids to bed and go to work after he got home from work. So he would be home with the kids and she had nothing to worry about. Right. Like, which is a good compromise. It's like, you know, you, you go out to work, I'll be home. Somebody will be watching them. Everything will be kosher. Like we're good. And she agreed to this eventually and started her work at the bank. She felt very satisfied being able to clean the building because it helped her with her anxiety by being able to focus on cleaning and being in control of taking this dirty old building and making it perfect and sparkling. So, it add, you know, it caters to her need for perfection. And like, again, most people with anxiety, we have what's called hyper focus. Yeah. We like get so set on one thing that we just shut off everything in the world around us and just keep on that one thing for hours sometimes it's positive but also negative to the point where like you also forget to do things like go to the bathroom and eat and drink water <laughs> and i get yelled at by my husband all the time because especially when i write and do things like these episodes i tend to hyper focus on them <laughs> so yeah <laughs> but anyway Getting back to Leonardo, she enjoyed even learning about the different chemicals that were used for cleaning and would experiment by mixing them together to create more effective methods for cleaning. But although this routine seemed to be working well for her and the family, she still wasn't making enough between her and her husband's income to save any money, still. And one night while working at the bank, one of her children died in their sleep. So after... All of that yeah. anxiety and pain, and then finally just being like, all right, well, we can do this. They'll be fine. No, no, they won't. Well, yeah. They'll still die. Yeah. So this was her 10th child that had been born, held in her arms, and her 10th to pass away. That child, due to their income, had to be buried in a pauper's grave, which for those of you that don't know what it is, a pauper's grave is one that is paid for at the public's expense because the deceased person's family could not afford one. So it's like they couldn't even have a proper burial or anything for this baby. It That's was just, so sad. yeah, like they had to be like put in this unmarked grave that probably don't even remember where it is. So they can't visit, visit them. And yeah. So, and Raphael and his family didn't tell her about the death while she was at work because they knew the trauma that she had been through and how happy this job made her and wanted to give her a few more hours of peace. And they knew that this news would destroy her rebuilt mental health. Yeah. Yeah. So when she got home, the news broke her naturally. And she now felt that the only thing that could help her and her family was money. Because with money, she could move her, her and her family to the countryside where there was plenty of fresh air and less disease. She could also pay for doctors that were needed when, when they're needed instead of dealing with undertakers after it was too late. 
Because that's all they had right now. It's just somebody to come in and take away their her dead ch- children. After she couldn't help them. She couldn't, yeah. That makes me want to cry. Yeah, same. <laughs> um, she felt, though, that fate was giving her an opportunity to make money now that she was working at the bank. She didn't have access to the vaults, but as a cleaning lady, she had access to the area that held the bank ledger. So she decided she was going to make a few small changes to make it look like she had an account with them with a hefty amount of money in it. But she was caught when she went to the bank a few days later and tried to draw this imaginary money out of her fake account. She was arrested, charged with fraud, and sentenced to one and a half years in prison. Like, I can understand if she did something in small increments, like create a fake account with them, but actually take... Like, use the ledger to take little bits from other people's accounts to put it into her. So there would actually be money there. Not just saying, like, oh, I have, like, a thousand dollars. Because it, it's not there. So there's no way she could take it out. So, of course, they're going to, you know, be in on what she's doing. Um... In 1927, Leonardo arrived at the prison. The women at the time were different from the men as there were not nearly as many women criminals. So they were sent to reformatories that were controlled by the church, which most of the time were so much worse than the actual prisons. Leonardo was sent to an old nunnery run by a mother superior and a bunch of other nuns. The women prisoners were expected to behave, remain quiet, never step out of line, work themselves to the bone, and if they didn't do any of the above, the nuns would add years to the women's sentences with no one able to keep track or regulate their sentences at all. So, like, a nun could just be like, I don't like the way you looked at me. That's ten more years. And the authorities could do nothing about it. That's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, so, but because Leonardo had already grown up in a similar environment, she was used to living like that, so she followed every rule to the letter and released into the care of Raphael after her 18-month sentence. Yeah, short sentence, because this is a place she can thrive. Yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately, everything at home had pretty much gone to shit. Raphael had lost his job because she had pulled the bank stunt, so everyone pretty much lost all their respect and trust for him. His family was embarrassed by her actions. The entire community rejected them both and their children and made it clear to them that they didn't want them living in the village after her release. Raphael's family, though embarrassed, still loved them and wanted to help, so they collected as much money as they could to give Raphael and Leonardo and told them that they needed to leave town and get a fresh start. So Leonardo, her husband, and kids continued south to and moved to Lachedonia. Raphael got a clerical job and was making enough for Leonardo to be a full-time stay-at-home mom. They rented this adorable little house that overlooked the Ascento River, and the children were very happy there. Leonardo was able to once again feel content and happy to go about her daily life with no anxiety. Then she got pregnant again, so her anxiety about the curse came back, so she associated the curse around her children, assuming that it always hit her where she would hurt the most. Before the baby was born, she took Giuseppe and herself to go see the local Romani people. She had heard that a very gifted fortune teller lived among them and wanted her palm read again to see if her fates had changed. The palm reader told her that in one hand she could see prison and the other she could see a mental asylum. The thought of the mental asylum terrified her because as far as she knew, those that went into mental asylums were never seen again. (laughs) Not shocked. Because, so... 
In the 1900s, mental hospitals were known as lunatic or insane asylums. Authorities would lock patients up against their will, regardless of how little they knew how to treat a patient's problem. And patients were sent to asylums involuntarily. And the reasons for getting thrown in there were fucking crazy. Like, my, I, ha- I saw this whole list online. I'll leave a link below of just some of the hundreds of reasons why you can get thrown in there but i'll put on here my top 10 favorites (laughs) one religious enthusiasm what so if you're like extra joyous in the spirit you're obviously nuts asthma Uh, asthma asthma so having asthma meant you were crazy (laughs) deranged masturbation (laughs) What constitutes deranged masturbation? I don't know. That just feels weird saying that. I Ugh. know. I don't know. What, what is it like? You're just like jerking off while you're talking to yourself. <laughs> I have no idea what that entails. Getting on with it. Greediness. So if you're greedy, you're crazy. Novel reading. Not novel. Yeah. Books. Yeah, books. So if you like, you like to read books. You're great, especially if you're a woman, because, you know, reading books gives you ideas and therefore makes you dangerous. (laughs) Laziness. Laziness. Yeah. We're not even all the way through this list, are we? No. (laughs) And literally every single person I know would end up in one of these places. Including myself. Yes. Same. Girl, we'll share a cell. (laughs) Overaction of the mind. Yeah, that's another one. In, in being imaginative, so having a good imagination. <laughs> politics. Politics. Doesn't specify, doesn't like whether you're crazy about them or not, just like politics in general, which I, I honestly can agree with that one. Politics are kind of fucked. <laughs> yeah. Especially nowadays, shit. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Exposure and quackery. So if you're a yeah. duck. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, they call, they, you know, calling a doctor a quack. But if you're a doctor, how would you end up in a mental asylum? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you'd work there, right? But, like... Yeah. No, and my absolute favorite one off of this list, imaginary female problems. <laughs> so according to men, literally every problem we ever have. <laughs> yeah. Great. Like, men could just bring their wives to the mental asylum and be like, you know what? I just don't like seeing her face anymore. Put her in here. I can't, I can't take it anymore. I can't. Keep her for, like... Three months. I can't take the drama. Yeah. I guess (laughs) I might come back. (laughs) Keep away from them books. (laughs) And all the all the ducks. Oh my god. So I'm be stuck on this duck thing for a little while. (laughs) Probably. Oh my god. (laughs) So Now, mind you, these places were, again, like, freaking horrible, but cities built these elaborate mansions with gorgeous manicured lawns and gardens to appease the tourists and make it seem like everything was just hunky-dory, but inside was hell. Like, on the outside, they did. They looked like royalty could live there. Like, they were beautiful. And people would just, like, stroll around the gardens while the crazy people were frolicking and all this other shit. And then you walk in the door and hear friggin' five different screeches. Yeah, and because they did, because there are some, there were some places like, um, like Bethlehem, which most people know it as Bedlam in London. Um, like, they would actually have people buy tickets or buy their way in to just look at the crazy people like they did wow. in sideshows. Yeah. I mean, that's one way to make money, I guess. 
Yeah. And patients were packed, mind you, in 10 to 20 in a room that was only seven by 14 feet in size. So it's like, yeah, we'd probably be in the same room, but we'd yeah. have, we'd have like 18 other people. <laughs> Like in the freaking in the freaking room with us. No, thank you. Yeah, they were neglected, experimented on. A few of their biggest treatments were they they took the patients and spun them at high speed. So think of like one of those rides at, at a fair where you you're spinning so fast you stick to the wall. Like the gravitron. Yeah, like the gravitron. Like they would do that. That was one of the treatments. They would also put them in straight jackets and swing them back and forth like a pendulum. That kind of sounds fun. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. The like, gravitron thing, no. I'd probably cry, but like oh being God, swung I'd puke. back and forth. I can't. Great. I can't do spinny. Like I'd puke nope. everywhere. Yep, same. Same, same. <laughs> they were put in deprivation chambers. Um, they were injected with malaria to treat syphilis because they thought that malarial fever would kill the other viruses. So now patients were dying from both diseases. And don't like, oh my God. So, and again, going back to like the women- like, the number one thing, I didn't include it in the list just because there's so many things underneath this umbrella term that is hysteria. Like, hysteria encompassed so many different things, like novel reading and imaginary female problems. And it just, like, anytime a woman, like, spoke her mind, went against her husband, anything against society, it's like she obviously had hysteria. And you, and you can thank Freud for shit like that, mind you. Which, like, the doctor, again, back in, like, the 18 and 1900s, that everything devolved down to sex. Like, any type of mental problems revolved around our primordial sex instinct. So women that had hysteria, the number one treatment was that they were pretty much frustrated. Like, I like to say, like, they just, they couldn't get off. That was their problem. So they would, like, strap them down to these tables in the loony bins, and the doctors would masturbate them until they would get off. And then, oh, all of a sudden, you're cured. Like, fuck. Yeah, that's how it was treated back then. (laughs) I think I'd rather go with a lobotomy after that. Seriously, I don't want some, like, weird-ass, old, creepy doctor's fingers up there. I don't need that. I'm good. But getting back to Leonardo, after a little bit, after seeing the fortune teller, she gave birth to a healthy baby boy. But she didn't want to get attached to him. Uh, her seizures came back and she was afraid to hold him because if she got a seizure unexpectedly, she might drop him and hurt or kill him. So unfortunately, she raised her new son as if he was destined to die anyway. Now, this was actually a common upbringing that dates back to the Middle Ages around the time of the bubonic plague. Children would be born, but their parents would never get emotionally attached to them due to their kids more than likely dying anyway. Which, I I understand that, but at the same time, if that's the case, why are you having children? That's a great question. Why bother at that rate? Yeah. (laughs) So this took an even bigger toll on Leonardo's mental health. Uh, Every night after her husband came home and put the kids to bed, she would go out walking, never knowing what time she actually left or where she was going. But she always ended up in the Romani camp every night anyway. For the next few months to continuing on the majority of the rest rest of her life, she spent a lot of time with the Romani people to the point that she became very close with them as an unofficial part of their community because they accepted her. At first, she would only get her fortune told. Then she eventually started asking questions about their rituals, history, and culture, so on and so forth. 
She started buying books from them about fortune telling, tarot, the occult, and became obsessed with a way to break the curse that had been placed on her. She learned how to read palms from the Romani. She learned about astrology and horoscopes, but she never found a way at all to escape what she believed to be her set in stone fate. Which, not surprising, there's... I mean, like, there's things like curse removal and reversals and stuff like that, but something that impactful to her that's, like, comes from such a dark place that she thinks, like, you're not gonna find shit like that in normal magic-type books. Uh, And in the month of July came the wheat harvest where she lived, which was this huge community event for a straight week. Everyone in the community would work together to harvest the wheat like side by side. When the sun went down, there would be bonfires, food, music, dancing. It was this week long festival that everyone would hang out and have a great time. Then each night they would find a spot and sleep under the stars in the wheat fields, which I think sounds fucking awesome. Great. Yeah. No, it does. Like, you don't see shit like that nowadays. Like, communities getting together like that. Especially now after what we've been through the past couple years, understandably. But still, it's like, that would be fucking awesome to just, like, go out, do a good day's work, and then, like, party all night till you pass out in the field. That sounds great. Yeah, that sounds especially really under the great. stars. Like, that sounds so fun. Yeah. Like, oh god, especially if you've had a few. <laughs> like, just in there talking all philosophical and shit. Like, whoa. <laughs> that would be fucking great. Yeah. Like, I would love that so this is where leonardo and her family on the morning hours of july 23rd in 1930 were at 1208 a.m the erpinia earthquake hit this had a surface magnitude of 6.6 with a maximum intensity of x it obliterated the little village they lived in and was the epicenter near boundaries between the regions of basilica apulia and campania The area affected covered 6,300 kilometers or 2,400 square miles. The main shock was preceded by two foreshocks a few hours earlier and followed by 16 aftershocks within the first 24 hours. So I can understand like still like sleeping through the foreshocks. Maybe they weren't as bad, so it wouldn't wake them up. But that initial like actual earthquake and then they had to deal with 16 aftershocks after that trauma of the first one just completely like decimating everything Dude, that that's around hell them. right there because it's all uh, when will it end yeah seriously no it's it's like constant freaking out i can see that because it's you don't know if another one's gonna come or if you're all set or what's going on so leonarda saw this as a sign that she truly was not allowed to have peace or happiness after this she thought that her mother's curse would follow her to the ends of the earth unless she became powerful enough to snuff it from existence And in part two, yes, there's going to be a part two because there is so much more on this woman that I've anticipated. And we've already reached over an hour. We are going to talk about the aftermath of the earthquake, how Leonardo and her family fare, and what led into her crimes. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Tune in next time for part two of Leonardo Cinchilli, the soap maker of Correggio. Don't forget to follow us on Anchor and the other links in the show notes to follow, get merch, and give all the loves to your girls. Laters! Laters!